That is 138 CE. The Emperor is dead. It hardly matters when you're out this far. Away from the glare of the sun that shines on most of the Empire. Away from your family. Away from civilization. You've never really counted yourself among the Roman soldiers who stand on the edge of the Empire, look out into the world beyond and claim that those who live on the other side are barbarians. It's what you're supposed to think. It's what the higher-ups want you to think, but it's not true. They're just folk living their lives. You know, if you read Herodotus and Pliny the Elder and Suetonius, there's clearly a lot in there that is absolutely not true. They may have been the fathers of history and, and science writing and everything. They wouldn't have worked today in, in academia, but that doesn't make them any less interesting and it doesn't make them any less useful. My name is Max Miller. I am the host of Tasting History with Max Miller on YouTube, and I create dishes from the past and then talk about their history or the history of the people eating them. It does make it more difficult to figure out what was actually kind of happening on the ground, especially with like the common people and kind of the daily life of things. If you think too hard about it, and you often do, because what the hell else is there to do standing on this bloody wall for hours every day? You'd begin to think that maybe bringing the might of the Roman Empire into a country that doesn't particularly want it to be there isn't the best use of your time and resources. After a while, you might start to think, are we the baddies? This is Scotland, a podcast about history and where we made it. I'm Michael Park. Hadrian's Wall by that time was established. It was essentially a series of cities, small cities, you know, and you would have the governors and, you know, the the kind of elite of British Roman society coming coming to that area. We know a lot about what was actually at Hadrian's Wall, food-wise, and it does seem pretty clear that a lot of the food that was actually at the wall in these major forts did make it up in smaller quantities to kind of those outposts, the, the further regions where there would be a more select group of people, especially if you were a centurion and you were a little bit higher up in the ranks. You would have your wine coming with you. You would probably have a little bit of the, the garum, the liquamen. You wouldn't just be living off of the basic rations, which were bucalatum and laridum, which basically are like a hard bread, like hardtack, and then salted pork or salted fat. It was like, it really was just kind of the fat from, from salted pork. Those were the main things that you would be eating if you were just on field rations. And if you were marching, that's, that's what you'd have. Thinking too much about the role of your empire in the world is the kind of thing that can really get you into trouble as a soldier. Especially a new recruit. Especially one from outside Rome. It's not all that long ago that your parents' home had Roman soldiers turn up outside with the promise of civilization. It takes time for people to come around. You can prove that with the number of little uprisings that the legions put down every year. You know, it's it's kind of curious how, how often it was. Um, 
these these incursions. I doubt it was like a daily thing, but uh, you, you kind of wonder how often they did come in contact, or if it was just once or twice a, a year. And if it wasn't for them, the legions, you wouldn't be here, comfortable, if a bit cold and wet, out here on the dead emperor's wall. There's a few of the older soldiers, ones who remember, or pretend to remember, Hadrian's royal visit to Britannia in 122. They seem pretty broken up by his passing. He's been emperor for 20-odd years, to be fair. Certainly all of your life. But the only thing that his passing means to you is that the next emperor might not be like Hadrian. He might not look inwards to the comfortable cities of Eboracum or Londinium with their shrines and amphitheatres and brothels and drainage. Oh, the drainage in Londinium was fabulous. But anyway... As the Romans pushed north, those supply lines continued to grow. And that, that's kind of what made the Romans so, so impressive. Because they did it all over the empire. Whenever they expanded, they built roads very, very quickly. Even if they aren't the, the roads that we think of as the old Roman roads. They had other, other ways of moving things very, very quickly in comparison with the people that they were fighting, typically. The next emperor might want to look outwards, beyond the wall, into the lands called Caledonia, where there are people who do not want to be forcibly made into Romans, where there are people who might resist incoming legions. Out there lies death and destruction, and let's face it, the loss of an innocence that you've been lucky to hold on to throughout your career. You've never killed anyone. You tried in a skirmish once. Gave a barbarian a glancing blow of your gladius. But some bear of a man ran him through before you could do any real damage. The big man grunted something about your form getting you killed. He was probably right. You turn away from your assigned watch and back towards Roman territory. You can almost taste the safety, the security. You know that at the end of your prolonged watch at this mile castle, you'll return to the fort and the vicus and a bathhouse and hot meals shared with your cohort, made with some of the finest ingredients that they can get this far north. If you were in a in a camp or a fort, you were eating two full meals a day, typically with your centurion, you know, your group of people. You would all cook and and you would eat together two meals a day, and then there were various snackings throughout the day. Out here on the wall, things aren't quite as luxurious, but they're not bad either. If you were on march or if you were doing something active that might not be the case you might be lucky to get one meal and then snacks throughout the day and the meal wouldn't be nearly as luxurious as if you were at a fort you turn back to the assignment your gaze settles off beyond the wall it's hard not to think about their lives those uncivilized barbarians that live every day outside the auspices of the empire. 
From where you are, you can just about see one of their hill forts, far off in the distance, tiny whispers of smoke rising from the roundhouses, and occasionally, a trickle of people moving in huge groups around the hill upon which it sits. Their caravans come down a couple of times per season to trade, but you've never been close enough to them to meet one, and nobody else is willing to give them the time of day beyond the goods and cattle that they've got to sell. You know, a lot of times we think of the the Romans coming in and the people had never seen the Romans and it was all new. No, they had been in contact for many, many years. But even though they were not on good terms with the Romans, they traded. None of the soldiers stationed with you will talk about them. So all you have are stories about their bloodthirstiness. You doubt that they're true, but that doesn't stop it keeping you up at night, when you can hear rats scratching at the stone walls of the little fortress. What do they eat? You asked one day. People, replied your smart Alec Decanus. We know a lot less about the food of those people. They didn't write down recipes. They didn't write down nearly as much. And so it's we kind of have to look at the archaeological record, and you can only get so much from that. Um, you know, lots of nuts, lots of boiled meat, and and herbs, and and fresh greens, and everything like that. So it wasn't a bad diet, but definitely less varied. It's not that you're scared. You didn't join the Roman army just to be scared of some screaming native. But hearing the horror stories from the soldiers who have spent years guarding this wall enough to give you pause. And word will reach you relatively soon that the dead emperor's replacement, Antoninus Pius, has named a new governor, Quintus Lollius Urbicus. Their vision is exactly as you feared. They will move the border of the Roman Empire north into Caledonia. You don't know it just yet. But soon you'll be closer to the Caledonians than you ever wanted to be. But that's a story for next time. You've been listening to Scotland. This episode was written and produced by me, Michael Park. It is a production of Be Quiet Media. Thank you to Max Miller for speaking with us for this episode. You can enjoy his incredible YouTube channel by searching Tasting History with Max Miller wherever you engine your searches. You can find out more about the show on our website, scotlandpodcast.net, and we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok too. Find us by searching Scotland, a Scottish history podcast. Often when you read history, it feels like everyone was always at war all the time, and like life was just a constant, violent you know, occasion. And it's simply because we're taking huge swaths of history and condensing them down into a few paragraphs. And it's like, well, yeah, there was a lot of war between, you know, these two periods. But really, it, it, you look closer and it's usually not constant. In fact, there's, there's probably a lot more war over the last 200 years than there were, than there was, uh, you know, earlier on it was just that's what gets written about and so it feels it feels like it has an outsized proportion of history uh is at war look after one another we'll see you next time